way to the cross. Look at Genesis 22, verse number 1. We're going to read a few of these verses down here to verse 14. And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here am I. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I will tell thee of. And Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and clave the wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went unto the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and they went both of them together. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, My father. And he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went, both of them, together. And they came to the place which God had told him of. And Abraham built an altar there and bound Isaac his son, laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns, And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you please bless this message. Lord, I feel inadequate to preach it. I pray that you do something here that, Lord, uh, we can say that we've, had a visit from the Holy Spirit today and guide and direct in our thoughts. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Imagine the scenery here. Abraham climbed this mountain. You might call for him a mountain of submission. Isaac climbed a mountain of sacrifice. And uh, because you'll remember that Abraham was a friend of God, the Bible says, a man of faith. And God had promised him a son. And if you went back to chapter 17, verse 4 of Genesis, you'd hear these words. uh, As for me, behold, my covenant is with thee, and thou shalt be a father of many nations. And he promised to give him a son. Abraham, after receiving the promise son, God then required uh, Abraham to sacrifice his son in verse number 2. And Abraham, doubtless, is in consternation. He cannot understand it. But by this time, he has learned to obey the Lord. We preached a couple weeks ago about 
his disobedience and what he lost by going down into Egypt. But he learned to obey the Lord, and he obeyed the commands of Jehovah God. He takes this boy Isaac, okay, <clears throat> probably not so much a little boy anymore. Uh, he's called a lad, and sometimes that's in a range of a reference. The same word is used to describe men that were prepared to go to war. So we could say as, as high as like 30 years of age, but still under his dad's supervision. And uh, he takes Isaac and he starts up that mountainside. Isaac sees Abraham with a knife in one hand and the fire in the other hand. And Isaac asks, where is the lamb? Abraham with his heart wrenching, his breaths very hard to come by. He says, my son, God will provide a lamb for the sacrifice. Then they went up that mountain. Isaac is then bound, and he's laid out there upon that wood, and Abraham does what he's supposed to do. He raises that hand with that knife. He's ready to plunge that into the bosom of his son. And the angel of the Lord stops him and says and calls his name. And Abraham sees the ram caught in the thicket behind, and the ram becomes a substitute for Isaac. And the ram is slain. Isaac is set free. What I want to examine in this passage goes along with our Sunday school lesson. But the way of Calvary, the way to Calvary, was not a New Testament creation. It is the scarlet thread that runs throughout the entire Bible. From the foundation of the world, the Lord planned on this occasion. The best date we can put on this is 1863 B.C. And Isaac, though, is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ who died upon the cross. He's an Old Testament portrait of Jesus Christ. I believe this. We're going to see it. I hope you'll stay with me for this and that my voice will keep up. I want you to notice that both children were children of promise. They both had a miracle conception. Sarah is way past the age of bearing children, and the angel comes to them and said, "About you're going to have a baby soon. And, uh, and she is laughing, right? How can this be? Both were children of promise. Turn back to chapter 18. You'll see what I'm talking about. Go to verse number 13. And the Lord said unto Abram, Wherefore did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall, of a surety bear, shall I of a surety bear a child which am old? And now look at the response here. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Doesn't that remind you of Luke chapter number 1? Where the angel comes to Mary and she says, Her words are, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the answer from the angel is, for with God, nothing shall be impossible. See, Isaac is a picture or a type of Jesus Christ. Both were conceived by miracles. Both were children of pronouncement. They both were prophesied that this would happen. The angel comes to Mary, comes to Joseph, and then he, the angel had come 
to Abraham and to Sarah. These both were pre-named. In other words, in Genesis, it tells us that they should call his name Isaac. And in Matthew 1.21, we are told that the angel said, Thou shalt call his name Jesus, which means Savior. Both the mothers asked the same question. Isaac prefigures Jesus also in the crucifixion. In Hebrews, there's an account of Abraham, and it says, if you wanted to write it down, verses 17 through 19, but the last part of verse 19 says, accounting, talking about raising up Isaac. He said, accounting that God was able to raise him. He said, he obeyed even though he would lose the son that was the son of promise. He said, I believe God would raise him from the dead, even from the dead from whence also he received him in a figure, a picture of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Of course, the picture itself in the Old Testament is never as great and uh, marvelous as the real, as if the shadow is never as distinctions uh, as, as, as able to be seen as when the real person comes and you can look at their face. It's more distinct. But here is Jesus being represented by a man. Of course, a man can't die and then be raised again or raise himself from the dead, so a substitute is grabbed. And this morning, I want to point out a few similarities about this road. So taking notes, you take number one, the way of the cross. In verses 3, I want you to notice something in uh, our text in chapter 22. And go to verse number 3. And I want you to notice just one word in verse number 3. And uh, Abraham rose up early in the morning, and he saddled his ass, and took the two young men with him, and Isaac his son, and clave the wood for the burnt offering, and rose up, and then went unto, now, the place of which God had told him. Now look at the next verse. Then in verse 4, then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place. Go down to verse number 9. And they came to the place. What you see here is the place, the place, the place. The name is Moriah, which means chosen of God or foreseen of God. That God had Moriah in his heart and in his mind was evident from the beginning of the creation. God had chosen it. He had foreseen it. This place is not accidental. God had one place in all the earth in mind and one event that would be central to all of history. It is the place foreseen by God and it was chosen by God. Why? Because it would be the same place that Jesus would die. Jesus died on Mount Moriah. Uh, the actual part of that that's called Mount Moriah is the Temple Mount today, which is even more significant to the scarlet thread that runs through the fabric of history. You see, by placing that temple up there where all of those animals were daily a picture of the coming Messiah, it only points to the seriousness of this type that God said to Abraham, he could have said, go anywhere, Go, he, he, said, he could have said, go up to Mount Carmel, go up to Mount Tabor, or to Mount Hermon. Those are all mountains in that area. But he said, I have chosen a place, and that place is Jerusalem. 
And there he goes up to that temple mount, and uh, the substitutionary death is taught in the first book of the Bible. One person that's innocent, giving their life for somebody who is guilty. The substitution, Jesus said in John chapter 18, verse number 37, 1837, to this end was I born. He's on his way to the cross. From eternity past, God had in his heart and in his mind a hill in Jerusalem called Mount Calvary. From eternity past, Jesus was walking the way of the cross. Jesus came, as we talk from the Psalms, out of the ivory palaces and into the world of woe to go to that place. And that's the reason why in Luke chapter 23, in verse 33, it says, And when they were come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him. He had been after that place. His whole mind and his whole heart was not on how beautiful he can make the mountains or how much wealth he could bury in the gold around the world. The heart of God was, I'm going to redeem and call out of this world those that would come to know Christ as their Savior out of every kindred, of every tongue, of every tribe, and of every nation. And he said, it's been on my heart from the beginning. And the plan of Calvary was not one of many concepts that could save somebody, but it was the only way to be saved, is that your sin had to be paid for. The demands of the law must be made. The hand with that knife must plunge itself into the heart of sin to be judged. And Jesus said, I'm going to go in your place. Isn't that something? The way of the cross. Second point today, the woe of the cross. Look at verse 4 and 5. Go back to chapter 22 of, of Genesis, verse 4. Then on the third day Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide you here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. You know, this man had a lot of servants. At one point he gets all the servants together when Lot has been overrun and his, his, uh, when he was living in Sodom and they were overrun and captured. And he gathers his servants together, 300 of them, and he goes and he captures and, and rather uh, frees all of those that were held captive. He's uh, proven himself that he's a man capable of doing great things. He could have said to his servants, servants, carry this up here. Here's the wood. And here is the uh, fire. Do such and such. Reminds us that Jesus could have called legions of angels to attend on Calvary's mountain. But he came to die for our sins. And friends, there was a point where the disciples couldn't be there. The servants couldn't go another step. And Abraham said to his servants, Hey, you fellas, wait right here and I'm going to take them up and don't worry, I, we're going to come right back. Believing God was going to raise his son. Because the word of God cannot be broken. 
disciples were that way. Jesus said in Hebrews chapter 1, when He by Himself had purged our sins, He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. There comes a point where the disciples had to stop and not go with Jesus because what He had to do on Calvary had to be done by Himself. But the disciples had been with Him for three years. I mean, you can read about it and you follow what He says in there. He says, wherefore have ye no faith? And then a little later, wherefore you have little faith? And then He says, uh, uh, where is thy faith? He even comes to the place when the Son of Man comes, where there will, will He find faith in the earth? But then He demonstrates what can be done with great. I have not found so great a faith. No, not in Israel. I mean, these disciples had been there for all of that. They had, he had commanded their legions. He had borrowed their boats, right? He had slept in Peter's home. And there up uh, by Jerusalem, there uh, near the Mount of Olives, he had slept in Martha and Mary's house and where Lazarus was raised from the dead. He had gathered them together only the night before and shared with them their last supper, instituting the great ordinance of the Lord for His congregation. But there are some lonely steps ahead for the Savior. As He starts that night up the Mount of Olives and He stops at an old olive press with the name Gethsemane. And the disciples, He tells the eleven or maybe eight of them to stay right here and they stay and He takes with them Peter, James, and John and He he goes in further and he, and he says in Mark's account in Mark 14, 34 and following, and he said unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death. Tarry here and watch. And he went forth a little and fell on the ground. You see, for salvation to be won, there is ground where only Jesus and the Father can go. He had to do this alone by himself. It was there that Judas came with a band of soldiers and a bunch of evildoers. And Jesus knew and predicted this event. He said, but all this was done that scriptures might be fulfilled. Now get this, in Matthew 26, 56, then all the disciples forsook him and fled. You can imagine what was going through Isaac's mind as they climbed that mountain together. There's his aged father, now over a hundred years old, with fire in one hand and a knife in another. <laughs> father, I see the wood, I see the fire, I see the knife, but where is the sacrifice? And with a quivering chin, Abraham said, the Lord will provide himself. He didn't have an answer. Isaac looks into the face of Abraham and he asks no more questions. Isaac senses, he knows. He knows what his father can no he can no further put into words. Isaac, you are the sacrifice. Imagine what went through the heart of Isaac as father and son go up that mountain. Can you imagine what went through the heart of Abraham? Someone wrote, if you really want to know what was going through the heart of God as they marched toward Calvary, go visit Abraham in Genesis 22. 
If you want to know what it felt like when Jesus went up that hill with the ribbons of skin laying and falling behind him from that terrible scourging with the plant of crown of thorns into his head and his face beaten so badly. <clears throat> what is felt? He who knew no sin, none. I believe this picture is that dark Gethsemane. Hey, you fellas, stay right here. The lad and I are going together to die for the sins of the world. Jesus went into Gethsemane, but he had to go a little further. Thirdly, notice the willingness of the cross. In verse number 6, And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and they went both of them together, and then they had that converse. But look at verse 8, And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went both of them together. Isaac senses what is going to happen. Certainly he knew it when Abraham asked him to stretch out his hands, and it says he was bound. Isaac was called a lad, but he could have been, as I said earlier, almost 30 years old. And some have said Abraham could have been as high as 133 years old. And this was a robust young man, this Isaac, and a very faltering old man that held that knife. And uh, there's no way Isaac could have been forced upon that altar that day. Uh, uh, he had to be willing to give his life because of the command of God. And he, he says, son, give me your hands. And he starts to bind his hands and Isaac puts them out there. I think of Jesus when Jesus says, no man taketh my life from me. I lay it down of myself. I have the power to lay it down and I have the power to raise it again. Cross is not a mistake. It was in his plan. The place was planned. The prophecies were given. The timing was perfect. And there on that cross, when it came time to nail his hand, you see the soldiers wrestling with those thieves that were there, the one on this side and the other. You hear their awful cries. The soldier looks stunned at Jesus because he looks down and Jesus puts his hand out there. Puts his hand there. I lay it down of myself. I'm so glad the Bible says here that Abraham and Isaac went together. But because it speaks not only of the way of the cross and the woe of the cross, but of the willingness. I've got just two more quick points. I want you to see in verse 6 that he laid the wood upon his son. So my fourth point is the weight of the cross. The wood had become symbolic of humanity. The righteous are told in Psalm chapter 1 that they will be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. And just like Jesus carrying the end of the cross and so Isaac carried a representation of all humanity in the symbol that represented by that load of wood on the road to Calvary. 
He left the glory and its gold in heaven and took the wood of our wickedness upon him. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Isaiah 53, verse 6. And the weight of that cross that got heavier with every step, so heavy that they had to have Simon come and give him a hand. It speaks of the weight of our sin, the weight of our humanity, the weight of our weakness, the weight of our failures that was laid upon the Lord Jesus Christ. He laid aside all of his glory to take upon him the wood of our wickedness, and he went and bore it on Calvary. Thank God for the weight of the cross. The sin that you've committed as a Christian or an unsaved person, the Bible says Jesus paid for every single iniquity. When that knife ought to be raised and plunged into my heart and hell to be my eternal home, Jesus says, I took his place. He's paid it all. One more picture here under this point, verse number 9. And they came to the place which God had told him of. And Abraham built an altar there, laid the wood in order, and bound Isaac his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. There are three elements mentioned here. First, there's a cord, and that's by implication because he's bound. There's the wood, and then there's the knife. The cord was for binding the knife was for bleeding, and the, and the fire, or the, the wood, was for burning. The work of sin in the heart of a sinner, it binds, and it bleeds, and it burns. It binds in this life where sin is controlling the life of a sinner, and it makes a person uh, obeying the impulses of that sin, and uh, it is that which brings the uh, bleeding because of death. Death came because of sin. I'm a sinner. And when Adam sinned, all of us became the recipients of physical death. But greater than that, there's a burning that is awaiting all of those who don't go by way of the cross. And that burning is a lake of fire where the Bible says the smoke of that torment will ascend forever and ever. It tells us where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. That's what sin will do to every person who dies without Jesus Christ. But like Isaac went up there and took that cord. He says, I'm dying in place of the binding of sin in your life. He laid upon that wood and said, it'll burn. I'll take your hell for you. Plunge that knife deep inside of my heart. And I will take the bleeding and death. I will deliver you from the eternal death in hell. Glory to God. What Jesus did for the saved. Whew. So what is the work of the cross? For God, he hath made him, Jesus, to be sin for us. That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And when he became sin for us. When the wood of our wickedness was laid on him, he went up to Mount Moriah and he died upon Calvary's cross and paid in full the penalty for our sins. God knew that one day he would have to raise that knife. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. He put him to an open shame. 
the great knife of his fierce wrath against sin, the knife whose blade drips with the blood of the Son of God, engraved on the side of that knife is the name Don Whitaker, my sin. And God knew this would happen, and that knife must fall upon his own son, and it did. The work of the cross is that Jesus died for your sins and that he took and paid the full penalty. He took the binding, he took the bleeding, he took the burning. He took it all. Praise his holy name. The way of the cross, the woe, the willingness, the weight. One more, I'd like to say the word of the cross. Not only do I want you to see what God has done and pictured here, but I want you to hear what was said in verse, beginning in verse number 10. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know uh, <clears throat> that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, for me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. Now what is the word from the cross? I'll tell you in just a moment. But I want you to see Abraham with his hand raised. That quivering hand and his heart beating and his tears flowing. And he takes a big breath. And Isaac's looking up him with the love that of a son to a father, willing to do this. He's the son of promise. He's the son of a miracle. He's the son of prophecy. He's the son of love. He's the son of my hope. And just as that knife is about to fall, the angel says, Abraham. Now you listen closely to me. If you're here and you're not saved, there's a judgment that's coming and it's hanging over your head. It's got your name engraved on the side of that blade. It is the wrath of God upon sin. God is about to strike that wrath and it's just and it's right because you and I are sinners. And just at the right moment when it's all about to be over, God calls your name. Don. And he says, listen to me. And now we move into what we'd have to say is that Christ is pouring an illustration upon illustration. Isaac is not to die. Why? Because he's far less than Jesus, but then he pictures you and I who come to that place and deserve to die. And God does something strange and he does something wonderful. He says, Abraham, don't do it. Could you imagine the heart, the tears? I have two sons. I couldn't do that. 
And Abraham looks and sees the ram caught in a thicket. He goes over and he says, well, where did he come from? He's caught in a thicket, get this, in a crown of thorns. See, God knew what was happening. Here's Abraham and Isaac making their walk up the side of Moriah's hill. God tells that yonder ram, hey, you start up the other side. You have a rendezvous today. And God had it planned for all of the hosts of heaven and hell to converge in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah. It's going to happen again at the end of time. And he says, Jesus went to the cross in the place of sinners. He even clothed that little ram with a crown of thorns so he'd stay put. (laughs) Picture what Jesus would look like. From the beginning of time, what's been in the mind of the Lord is your salvation. What Isaac must have felt when he saw the ram. Could you imagine? I'm not going to die. How would you even say that? I think he would just choke back the tears. What Isaac must have felt when his bonds where he was bound around his hands were cut loose. When he gets up off that altar, I wonder, I wonder if he went and grabbed that ram by the neck and gave him a hug. (laughs) Did the tears flow? when that ram was put up there and died in his place. I wonder what he thought when he saw the blood of that animal coming down the side of that altar. And he knew he died in my place. What is the word from the cross? The word from the cross is this. Jesus died in your place. Abraham called the place Jehovah-Jireh, and that means the Lord will provide. And uh, the Lord will provide is what he called Mount Calvary. Now, Calvary, confusing from our Sunday school lesson, is it Gordon's tomb, or is it over here where the Catholic Church is? We have no idea, so many... Now, a couple thousand years have almost transpired. We don't know what's happened to that hill that somewhere looked like a skull and probably after so many wars in Jerusalem and so much debris and everything, we don't know for sure. But if you'd have been there during the time of Jesus, it probably reeked of the smell of the dead, the blood that stained the earth from so many of these crucifixions that The Bible says in 70 A.D. they even ran out of wood in that area for all the crucified people when they finally destroyed Jerusalem. They used all the wood they could find, every tree. The whole place was without trees. You go up there and say, this is disgusting. This is a horrible place. If you could see the cross and all of its and gather all of its, its, its scenery into your heart, you'd probably suffer from Bad dreams and horrible thoughts, because it was horrible. But to the Christian, 
you can name it Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide. I don't have to go to hell. In John chapter 8, Jesus said, Abraham, he told the Pharisees, Abraham saw my day and was glad. Oh, there yonder Abraham, standing there in paradise, able to see what's happening, perhaps. We don't know for sure. But he looks over there and says, there it is. And his heart begins to pound. And in place of Isaac, Son of God. And the purpose is to die for my sins. John said this when he saw Jesus at the baptism. Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the world. That is the word of the cross. That's the reason I've brought you to Genesis to talk about the cross. For God so loved the world that he gave. But you have to come and receive that salvation. He'll even call you by name. He'll make you realize this salvation is for you. And he'll try to get your your attention. You need to be saved. Because if you don't, you stand there alone with no substitute. God knew that one day he would spare not his own son. That's how much he loved you. Have you received Jesus as your Savior? I don't care about politics. I'm not talking about what kind of sins you're involved with. I'm talking about if you don't receive Jesus, you're going to die and go to hell. I don't know, it doesn't matter to me what church you attend. I'm saying if you do not receive this free gift through what the Bible called being born again, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. Are you saved? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for what you did and you pictured it so beautifully for us. And Lord, I trust that you'll use this message in the hearts of somebody here I pray that Christians would wake up to righteousness and sin not. The debt of our sin has been paid. And how can we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? You died to purchase us the freedom of salvation. And we don't want to dwell anymore in sin. So Lord, if Christians need to get their hearts right, I pray they would do so and If anything, renew in the heart of every believer the great joy we have because our name was called. We saw the ram in the thicket, the Son of God with the crown of thorns. And But if there's somebody here that's not saved, I pray this would be the day they respond and trust you as Savior.